I think that this is either our best or worst episode ever. Welcome to the Dead Format. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by the Richmond-bound Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. I finally picked a deck. I'm so happy. I went through so many different versions of different decks before I finally found something that I'm comfortable with bringing, and it's a lot of the same cards that I am used to playing, just in a slightly different shell. That's awesome, man. And yeah, I don't actually know what that is, so I'm really excited to hear. So I walked through last week, and I think toward the end of last week, I was almost settling on Infect as the deck that I was going to bring. It was the one that I had the most success with in the past, and even when I was playing it online, it didn't end up seeming to be poorly positioned. I knew that Grix's Control and Shadow were poor matchups, but ones that theoretically you could fight through. I felt like Shadow was quite a bit better than Grixis Control. But after a few more leagues, seeing how much more Shadow was coming in, I decided that I needed to hang up Infect, and I wanted to try different builds of Delver, because I feel like that's really where you want to be. And I went through Shadow, and I went through Grixis, and I finally settled on white-blue Delver. It's a hybrid of blue-white Stoneblade and the Jeskai Delver shells. Matt Sperling had posted a list on Twitter with his online and somewhat in-paper results. And in testing, it was really the best deck that I found so far. My win rate online was the highest compared to all of the other decks that I had tested. And I feel like snap swords to plowshares decks are a really good place to be and instead of being a sort of slower more controlling blue white stone blade you get to play delver to clock combo and if you are in a matchup where delver isn't the best threat then you can board those out and then play a slightly bigger stone blade game yeah for sure so you're playing uh how many stifles i'm playing zero stifle I feel like Stifle isn't part of that plan for me right now. Okay, so that was Sperling's original list, right, with the Stifles? Maybe I'm using a more updated list okay. than the one that had the Stifles, but it's all Spell Pierces in that in that sort of reactionary spot. Yeah, I really like that because what I found, I did run that list through one league, and it's, it's really awkward because you don't have like a, a Noble Hierarch start or really any ways to sort of get ahead on mana and then leverage your Wastelands and Stifles. So I felt like Stifle wasn't the right fit for that deck, so I'm glad to hear that you're off it. Yeah, I agree with you. The mana base is so resilient, being able to fetch up basics, and in the testing that I did actually tonight before the cast, and last week in paper, and then a few leagues online, I... I'm absolutely in love with the mana base and what threat package the deck has. Walk me through this real quick. 
how bad is it not having red blast so i had tested the jeskai version that actually had red blast sideboard and two bolts main deck and i had tested the blue white version with more basics that you can basically function off your two basic lands and i felt like the addition of back to basics in the sideboard and being more focused with your mana base was going to end up being better in my testing against other wasteland decks and against death and taxes actually only having two colors was very beneficial yeah i could definitely see that so you'd have to probably compromise your mana base by playing like two volcanics at a minimum yeah i believe the list that he worked on with owen turtenwald had two or three volcanics for the two main deck spells and then the sideboard cards okay so how many true names are you playing I'm torn between whether or not I'm going to play two or three. Right now, the list has two and a click, but the click main deck could be another Snapcaster Mage, or it could be a third true name. I think I like click. I mean, I don't have the reps to definitively say anything about this deck, but click does seem powerful. Now, obviously, click is a good card, but if I want to make sure that I can shore up my Grixis matchup, I think I would rather have a third true name in the main deck to go along with a click in the sideboard. So that's the way that I'm leaning currently. I could also have that spot be a another Snapcaster Mage if I'm expecting more Death Shadow. Are you on two Snapcasters or three? Two. Okay. So that could be a third Snap? It could be. I like two. Yeah, I'm interested to see where you land with this. True name's obviously great, but you're not getting it out, you know, ahead of schedule. So it becomes kind of a liability threat in, like, the fast combo matchups. It is super important against Grixis to be able to pressure their Planeswalkers, and when they have, like, a Baleful Strix on board, you can't really rely on Click to do that. So I certainly wouldn't go below two true names, and I think I might land on three if I were playing this deck. I think that the spell suite of counterspells in game one you can really not lean on true name against combo you actually have delvers so you can clock your opponent right and you can you can get rid of them or pitch them to force so i think i'm leaning three because it solidifies the grixis matchup more and i think that's the way that i'm going to go with it yeah awesome so um you have i imagine jit and batter skull in the main deck and do you have like a sword in the sideboard so there's no sword in the sideboard. I haven't fully mapped out my sideboard plans yet. So I know I've locked in 10 or 11 cards, but I really need to go through and plan what the rest of my cards are going to be. And that's the one thing that I haven't sort of nailed down. I have one spot in the main deck that I'm deciding what it needs to be, and then five or six in the sideboard. Okay, yeah, I really have been a fan of Sword and Feast and Famine lately. Fire and Ice is still great, obviously, but just to be able to, like, in the post-board games, cut down to, like, two uh, Stoneforge Mystics and get a sword in there, I think that's really valuable. And if you have to cut, like, all your Stoneforges and equipment in the post-board matchup, sometimes that can get awkward, so. I, I agree with you. Cool, man. That sounds like it's going to be awesome. I really wish I was going right now. I'm going to miss this tremendously. I got a call actually earlier today from our friend Chris, who was ecstatic to inform me that his travel plans had changed and he would be able to make it to Richmond by Thursday morning. 
and he was just waiting for me to be like, yeah, dude, that's sick, you know? And I was like, well, you know, that's great, man. And he's like, oh, shit, you're not going, are you? And that's kind of been the last week for me. Like, I get added to these group chats, like, what are we meeting up or travel plans or whatever? And I'm just like, hey, guys, uh, I'm not going to be there. I definitely feel like I'm missing out on what's going to be, I think, a great Grand Prix. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to watch. And the field really has so many playable decks right now that it's going to be interesting to see what 15 rounds of play sort of sorts out to the top or if we're going to continue to see an almost completely wide open field. When I was thinking about my sideboard map and what I would have to prepare for, it's really 15 decks deep and there were more that could be added to that. Yeah, for sure. I actually, uh, just about half an hour ago, went through my last 10 leagues that I've played. So this is like the last uh, week and a half, 50 matches total. And uh, what decks I saw the most of. And there were 10 decks that I saw at least twice. The top two were, if you group Storm together, it was seven Tess and four Ant decks followed by Grixis Control uh, slash Bug Control, which was also about 20% of the matches that I played online. Now, I'm kind of wondering, a couple weeks back, we did like a preliminary what three decks you expect to see in Richmond, like a one, two, three. Yep. And I think yours were Death and Taxes, Grixis Control, and Show and Tell. And yes. Yeah, mine were uh, Death and Taxes, Show and Tell, and then I had Eldrazi and Reanimator. How do you feel about that today? So based off what I've been seeing lately and what I've talked to people about bringing, I think that it's going to be Death and Taxes, Black Blue Shadow, and Grixis Control as those one, two, three. Yeah, I think that it's going to be, my three would be Death and Taxes, Grixis Control, and I'm going to stick with Red Black. I don't think that Grixis Control should be in the top three, but I just, I keep playing against it. Like last night I played a league and I played against it three times. So obviously people enjoy playing the deck and it might be too late for people to get off of it, even if they do think that it's not the best position deck for this tournament. I've been seeing a ton of Black Blue Shadow and I know many people who have decided to pick the deck up and are bringing it to Richmond. I think that deck is very powerful. And it's going to be one of the ones that shows up the most. Yeah, I still, uh, <laughs> I, I remain unimpressed with it from playing against it. But I think that's just the decks that I'm choosing to play. You have to feel good about your blue-black shadow matchup then, right? With your uh, blue-white deck. Yeah, we did a ton of testing today. And I think we we played 10 pre-board matchups. And in those 10 games, it was 8-2 in my favor we sideboarded and my sideboard just performed better the blue black deck has a ton of spots they need to devote to chalice and death and taxes and they can't be as flexible as you can in a deck that has access to stoneforge so the list that you tested against uh how many hymns did it have pre and post board zero pre-board to post board okay yeah i think that that's in line with what I've been seeing. I think uh, I would say that three post board is probably the most common configuration I've been facing, but 
Yeah, two or three. And that's really one of the only cards that comes in against you that I feel like is not even a bullet for the matchup, but just like, you know, a good card. You know, you have Last Hope and him coming in. Yeah, it just sort of functions as extra copies of Thoughtseize to clear out your equipment after you get them with the um, with the Stoneforge package. But Swords to Plowshares is a beating, and having access to four plus Snapcaster Mages plus Path and Engineered Explosives in the post-board games was too much for the Shadow deck to deal with. Yeah, I believe that. And you're a Daze deck, too. And I feel like with the uh, the blue, white, red stone blade decks, they would be able to get underneath them sometimes with like a threat wasteland with days back up start. And if you can just daze them right back, I feel like you can sort of, although you're not taking advantage, I guess, of the board with your deck, you're not, you don't have like a noble hierarch or something like that. But I still feel like just in terms of the number of permanents, if you can just trade one for one with them and get to like turn four or five, I like where you're at. Yeah, plus your wastelands are live, and theirs aren't. You can play a game where you strictly fetch basics and not be impeded, where they, even though you're both a two-color deck, are way, way more vulnerable to wasteland. Yeah, that's true, too. That occurred in plenty of the games we played today. So how many Tundras are you playing? Just three. Oh, wow, three. I thought you were going to say two, actually. I'm playing 19 land... Four basics, three tundra, and all the rest are fetch lands. Gotcha. Yeah, that seems good. Uh, so that what's that? Eight fetch lands. Four wastelands. That's fifteen. Three tundras. That's twelve. Four basics. That's eight. Yeah, eight fetch lands. Gotcha. Yeah, that that seems about right to me. You don't have any like uh, delve cards in your deck, right? If you're blue white. No. Okay, so you're not trying to fill up the graveyard or anything like that. Nope, just Snapcaster Mage. I'm not playing anything that tries to turbo out things for Snapcaster Mage. There's no Thought Scour or anything like that. Just the traditional cantrip counterspell package along with Delver, Stoneforge, True Name, and Click. So what's your Chalice plan? Do you have like uh, two Disenchant Cyborg? You said Engineer Explosives, right? Yep, there's an EE, two Disenchants, and two Council's Judgment. But the deck can actually function pretty well off of a chalice on one. A lot of your threats are up the curve. So the chalice on one plan, if they go down resources to find it, Stoneforge Mystic can be very good. Your spells are still pretty much all one though, right? Like, especially pre-board, like you only have probably days and force that are above one. And one Jace. Oh, oh, you're playing a Jace? I'm playing a Jace classic delver staple well when you sideboard out the delvers and turn into more of the blue white blade deck then obviously the jace is an amazing card yeah for sure if you play island delver or tundra delver then jace might not seem to fit the game plan but is a super good card yeah yeah for sure so one thing that when I was making my list of the last uh, 10 leagues I played, one thing that really shocked me was the fourth most popular deck I played against was lands. I played against lands four times total in my last 50 matches. It's not the kind of deck that you can just audible to if you think it's well positioned, right? But how many lands pilots do you expect to see at this Grand Prix? So 
I think that lands right now is in a much better position than it was in the beginning of the format with shadow rising up and sort of knocking down show and tell and reanimator lands gets to be a little more viable. And if you want to beat shadow and Grixis control, it seems like lands is a very fine place to be. Yeah, I think it's a great place to be. And I actually going into this call, if I had to take place a bet, I would have said that you you were uh, going to tell me you were on lands. I can't bring myself to crack my tabernacle. <laughs> and I didn't do any testing with lands leading up to this. And it really just sort of hit my radar after I looked at the challenge results because there are quite a few lands decks in the challenge. But this is, like you said, something that I don't have a ton of time to test before the Grand Prix. So maybe, maybe it's time is here. But that's not what I'm going to be bringing. How do you feel about your matchup? I feel like my matchup is fine. True Name Nemesis is very good. You have a very, very solid suite of counterspells plus multiple surgicals. You have Swords to Plowshares to take care of their Merit Lages. And I don't think it's a super positive matchup. But I feel like the matchup is very, very even. Yeah, I could believe that. The other deck that I saw quite a bit of, I was surprised how much I saw at straight 10% of the matches I played online was Miracles. My gut says that you're a dog in that matchup. How do you feel about that? I feel like I probably am. I do not have the black and red cards that Grixis Delver has to be able to fight through the Miracles card advantage. I am very, very in on the try to get board control early and then use my soft counters to end the game quickly. And obviously Miracles does a very good job of playing around that. And they're a better Snapcaster Mage deck, but I'm not really going in expecting that to be a matchup that I'm going to play the most of. I feel like there are a lot of people who are picking it up and are going to bring it because it's a Snap Swords deck. And Jarvis was testing his AK or Lawrence Harmon's accumulated knowledge version that plays AK over predict. And that seems to be a better place to be if you can afford the spots to be able to play four of them. But I'm really targeting Death and Taxes and Black Blue Shadow as the decks that I want to beat. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. If I had to push out my top three decks to like my top five decks, though, I think the next two that I would expect to be seeing, Miracles would definitely be one of them. And I think, I guess, Eldrazi would be the other. Yeah, I I have enjoyed my Eldrazi matchup too. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that's a good matchup for you. Did you see this deck in the challenge that was like super Eldrazi posts, like even bigger than the what we've been calling the big Eldrazi deck? I scrolled through quickly. I saw that my my dark horse call of fish last week actually ended up finishing second dude in the yeah yeah i i feel like that's still the best chalice deck there is the the version that finished fourth which i don't think is super over the top i want to say it was ninth maybe so two of the 10 drop ulamog the 13 emrakul and a in a kozilek well, not, not the threat package so much. Look at the artifacts, dude. Four Voltaic Key with nine big rocks. 
Yeah, this is an older list from sort of pre-ban. Is this just like colorless post? Yes. This deck was making the rounds online before Deathrite Shaman and Probe got banned and sort of faded away once the Wister Challenge was won by the other version of Eldrazi post. And now people are moving back toward the Voltaic Key version. Gotcha. Yeah, I took this as like... Uh kind of some brewing because i guess they had got karn since then right that's sort of a an addition to the deck yep karn is new karn is very good in fact i tested tonight with marcus roth uh somebody who does a little bit of work with top deck doing their promotion so if you're at the leaving a legacy tournament oh redhead kid yep yep that 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 guy and he was playing mono red with karn in the zach turgeon build and it was very very good in testing do you happen to know is he on like a like a three chandra two karn split or like four chandra one karn two karn it was definitely multiple karn i'm not sure the number so it seems like the three two or four two split would be more reasonable yeah definitely yeah i didn't know the exact number i just don't like if you're ever pushing Chandra out with Karns, I feel like Chandra is just amazing, you know? And I don't think that Karn is better than Chandra. I do think that Karn has a spot in the deck, but originally it seemed like they were sort of compromising their Chandras with Karns or going to like 4-4, four, four, which I feel like is just overkill. I like 4-2, I think, in that spot. Okay, I, I haven't played any of the deck, but I do know that there were multiples, and when they were in play, they were very good. Oh yeah, when they're in there together, you might as well just scoop it up. So did you get to play any Magic this week? I did. I I guess since we last recorded, I played four more leagues with the Noble Rug deck. Uh, still tearing it up. I'm now uh, 26 and 9 through seven leagues with that deck. And uh, I kind of got bored with it, though. I was winning tickets or whatever, but I'm not actually going to play in Richmond, so I'm not like actively testing towards something. So I decided to goof around a little. I played another league with Maverick, played another league with uh, Bant, like a Bant-Maverick deck. No Force of Wills in the main, trying to be like a fair deck, really. And uh, I went back to Jund for another league, actually. How did that go? The Jund league was like a 2-3. It actually didn't go very well for me. I, I've been playing against so many test decks, dude. Like, I would say the average league I've played over the last four was one and a half test decks i think i played six in my last four leagues i don't know if it's just like the pilots because their games are over quicker they keep requeuing and you just have a greater chance of hitting them in the queue because I, I i don't feel like that it's going to be even though i've played it over 10 percent of my matches online over the last couple weeks i don't feel like there's any chance of that happening in paper right i completely agree with that and i think it is it's a much easier deck to play sitting by yourself at a computer than it is in person sitting at the table. There are a lot of things that you can do when you're by yourself focusing on the screen that you can't do when you are in person at a large event. Dude, that's a great point, and I hadn't really thought about that, but you're absolutely right. I would feel comfortable playing that deck online and definitely not playing it in paper. Yep, I would 100% agree with you. I I think that Storm 
is a very solid choice if you're one of those pilots that knows exactly what they are doing. I think those people are few and far between. And I don't even know if you... If somebody who's competent with the deck but not perfect, if it's worth bringing it to the tournament because obviously one of your worst matchups is the black-blue shadow deck. And I think I'm expecting a lot more of that deck than you are. And in the testing that we went through, black-blue completely dominated all of the combo matchups. And maybe people come to that conclusion, maybe they don't. But I don't think that this is the tournament to bring combo to. No, I would agree with you on that. And you had, I guess, show and tell fall out of your top three decks, right? Yeah, given how that black-blue shadow matchup goes, obviously you can dodge it. Legacy is as wide open as it's been in a long time. And you can have a great performance with show and tell where you just don't see that shadow deck. But... I think that the percentage of the field that's going to be on the Shadow deck and if you combine that with other Delver decks, Show and Tell completely dropped off of my list off of things that I was willing to bring. And so did Black Red Reanimator. Dude, did you see, um, I think it was in this challenge, JPA. I want to say he was playing Blue White Red Blade or a Delver Blade deck. Yeah, 8th place, JPA. Four Delvers, three Stoneforge, three True Name, two Young Pyromancer. It kind of reminds me of, uh, was it uh, Brian Brondewin at Grand Prix, New Jersey? It definitely reminds me of Owen's deck from DC. Yep, yeah, that too. That was pre-Young Pyromancer though, right? Uh, there were no Young Pyromancers in that list. I can't remember if it was pre or post. But I feel like this deck is very similar to the one that I'm choosing to bring except I wanted a better mana base and I dropped the red. So this is almost my exact deck list. I just don't have the four lightning bolts and the two young pyromancer. Yeah, and the blasts in the board. And I guess wear tear is pretty nice to have too. Yeah, I mean, wear tear is fine. But what decks are you actually trying to like get a two for one with it? Disenchant seems like it is a much better spot to be at least in my opinion yeah i'm not really sure i'm trying to think of where you're getting that two for one it's not miracles it's probably not death and taxes either i mean maybe maybe against infect you hit an ink moth and a sylvan library but that's something that's probably never going to happen yeah it's basically just searches and libraries and i guess bitter blossoms but you're not really hitting artifacts in those matchups so okay but the thing about this list and your list that I, I don't I don't think you mentioned is no basics in his list. I think I mentioned that I just chose for my mana base to be much better. Yeah, for sure. Even though JPA is playing an extra land, I feel like his mana base is much more vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he's on twenty land. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I really I really like this style of deck right now. And that's one of the reasons why I'm choosing to bring the blue-white Delver deck. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting because like, we think of JPA online playing Sneak and Show all the time. Or I guess uh, Trinity Tell, as they, as they say now, as the kids say. I think that if you take a look at the people who are experts in a certain deck, 
if you see them start to switch away from it, that's a pretty big signal that it might not be the best in the current meta. Yeah, and if I were sick of losing to a blue-black, I would play this deck. There you go. Although, I do like your argument about the basics, honestly, in that matchup, but other than that. Yeah, in in the testing that we went through, I felt like the mana base was one of the biggest strengths of the deck. And I am super comfortable running the list that I've been testing. Even against the Mono Red Blood Moon deck, I was able to play around Resolved Blood Moons fairly easily. And that's something that I'm not used to having a deck that can do. Yeah, that's got to feel great. And really, like taking a look at what happened in this challenge, I saw a lot of blue-white based Stoneforge decks. Lots of blue-white blade. I think there were four of them, yeah. It's it's a lot more than we have been seeing recently. And I think that's a response to Death Shadow coming up. So I, I predict that that trend is going to carry over into richmond and blade is probably a very good place to be yeah i won't argue with that in third place in this challenge i just noticed reed was uh in third place i I didn't see who uh was playing the deck when i first looked at this but he's playing that grixis control list probably pretty close to what he played at the pro tour if my memory serves yep so you saw this thing about like the the grand prix coverage right I did, and I'm kind of torn. Like, I know that you want to talk about it, so I'll let you I'll let you go through, and you're probably going to say the exact same thing that I would have. But I, I 100% saw it and have mixed feelings about it. So what's mixed? I guess uh, you can lead this off. What are you thinking? Okay. So if I was going to be at home watching this Grand Prix, it would be disappointing to just watch the same deck in coverage. And I I think that they're going to do a better job in mixing up the matchups, like switching between having Reed's match as a time walk or changing up the decks that they show on camera. But one of the major draws to Legacy is seeing different decks over and over. And having one of the same people on coverage throughout the weekend really sort of defeats how exciting different decks in Legacy are. Now, the positive thing is if you're looking at this from a marketing perspective, Reed Duke is a draw. People love to see him on camera. He's extremely well-spoken. He knows exactly what he's talking about and does pretty good analysis. So having him on camera quite a bit is probably going to be a boost to the quality of coverage, just with a little bit less diversity. Yeah, it's funny because I actually didn't expect that he was going to play this Grixis Control deck when I saw that announcement. The first thing I thought was like, you know, you thought, think about like Reed back in the day, he was uh, like an elves pilot. He played elves a lot. Well, he played Natural Order Rug as well. Yeah. And his bug deck. Yeah, I mean, he's played Miracles, he's played Pox, you know, he's played a lot of different decks. But I was thinking, like, if he were to play, like, a deck like Elves, how sick of it I would have gotten by the time, like, uh, you know, round eight rolled around. So I was thinking, like, 
if he played like a brainstorm, like a fair blue deck, like a like an Esper, or even like a bug deck, that I would really enjoy it because it would all be enjoyable games, right? You're seeing a good player playing a fair blue deck against someone else. You can count on that being like an interesting match, right? And maybe that's just because I like playing fair blue decks the most, right? So selfishly, I want to see that. Like maybe if I were like a Adam Wallace, I would want to see 15 rounds of elves against whatever. Maybe we just like to see what we like to play. How are you How are you going to like Snap K Command for 15 rounds? I, I really... I'm a lot less excited about it, honestly. This deck, I know it kind of looks fun, right? Like, you look at this list, and it just looks like a lot of fun to play. I didn't enjoy playing this list at all. It might it might look like a blast to play, but when you're casting the same value spells over and over again to eke out smaller and smaller margins, that obviously just doesn't appeal to me. It's powerful, Gurmag Angler can put a clock on, but this is really a small ball deck. And it's funny too, because I was thinking like, okay, Reed knows he's going to be on camera all the time. And also that he might be asked to do commentary in between his rounds. So I was actually expecting him to maybe move to something like a, like a Delver or Elves or something like that. Not that Elves plays quick games, I guess, but you know, something where he would get like a little bit of break between rounds, and that's not this deck, right? I don't think it is, no. I was actually kind of thinking he might audible to like a storm deck. So just because he played this deck in the challenge does not mean that he's going to run it in Richmond. True. It's an in it's an indicator that because he played it in the Pro Tour and he's playing it online that he's going to play it in Richmond. But we don't know. It's a strong indicator though. It's a strong signal. It it is. I personally would really enjoy watching a player of his caliber throughout the whole tournament, especially after some tough losses and seeing how somebody like that recovers from them and goes to the booth to analyze exactly what happened in the match. I feel like with the way that coverage currently works, you're always just sort of focusing on somebody that's running hot. You're looking at the X and O tables you're looking at the ones that have winning ins for day two. You're trying to find the people who are going to be competing in top eight leading up to the cut in day two. And that doesn't happen to every player all of the time, even if they are as good as Reed is. So I'm really looking forward to the talk on camera after the matches that didn't go his way. And I feel like that's going to be a really positive thing to come out of this. Yeah, well, the good news for you, then, is that there's likely to be a lot of those matches if he plays this deck. <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. You're probably right. A lot of close losses, but whatever. That's that's enough shade, I guess, to throw at the deck. I know a lot of people enjoy playing it. It's just not my speed. It's definitely going to be showing up. What about Grixis Delver? Do you expect to see a lot of that? I mean, it was kind of surging, right? We, we kind of, every tournament, we're seeing more and more of it. And I feel like now there might have been like one of them in this in this latest challenge. I feel like people figured out that Black Blue was a more powerful deck. More powerful deck. Interesting. I think that a lot of the people that were playing Grixis shifted to Black Blue when they found out it wasn't really a one-shot deck. The consensus coming out of 
the Pro Tour was that it was the best deck for that Pro Tour, but maybe it didn't apply to the meta in general. And instead of Black Blue Shadow sort of fading away and Grixis coming to the forefront, we're seeing combo decks really starting to go away because of what Black Blue Shadow was doing. And maybe my analysis of the meta is different than yours just because of the sample sizes that we've played online. But I've been seeing a ton of Black Blue online and a ton of people that I know anecdotally are bringing it to the tournament as well. Yeah, no, I mean, you could definitely make the argument that it's more powerful than the Grixis Delver deck. I know I would obviously rather be playing Grixis Delver than the Blue-Black Delver, but I guess if you're confident enough that the swath of decks you could be facing, while it's wide, it's not that wide. It's only like uh, 15, 10 to 15 decks wide, and those decks include show and tell storm variants reanimator then i would be comfortable bringing blue black but the reason i pause to say that it's the more powerful deck is because if i if i knew i was going to play against 15 different decks and that there were going to be some wild cards some real oddball decks thrown in i would rather be on grixis well i i don't see a huge reason why an oddball deck you would want to be on grixis you still have access to discard and soft counter spells and very efficient threats. I I can see Grixis matching up against a wider variety, but Thoughtseize Days is a plan. And it doesn't matter what rogue deck you're bringing, it's really hard for a deck that runs Thoughtseize Brainstorm Ponder Days Force to have no game against you. I agree, but just having like your sideboard blue blast, abrades, colagons, commands. I mean, it's similar if you dip into green with like a abrupt decay, or maybe like a nature's claim or Golgari charm. Just the the permanent removal and sort of like the sideboard cards, the strong ones that you think of in red. I just feel like the deck has like a a wider net of being able to catch problems than blue black where you typically have like a pretty big hole in like your permanent removal spot if you can count on like being on the play all day then yeah i'd be on blue black for sure but i don't know that could just be like my bias to be able to have more answers and maybe i just don't respect the blue black deck enough maybe we'll see it put two or three copies in the top eight and i could just be very wrong about this but i would prefer to be on grixis yeah, Grixis can definitely cover a wider variety of permanents, but it's adding a whole extra color. And there are some trade-offs to where the Black-Blue Shadow deck gets to play Snuff Out, which in a lot of matchups is absolutely amazing. It gets to play a bigger threat than Grixis for one mana, and it really does do a a solid job of balancing its life total in the, in the matchups that it needs to. Yeah, and I think that a lot of it with blue-black is probably the pilot skill level, right? Probably like a competent blue-black player, like maybe someone who played the deck before in modern, or you know someone who's just a very good player and has got a few uh, a few test matches in. They might be a lot more deadly with the deck. Yeah, obviously. It's a deck that is super pilot dependent. 
and there is going to be a much wider variety of skill levels than the people that are playing that deck. I played against Pat Cox online, and I'm not sure if he's a Channel Fireball guy, but just off the top of my head, it seems like he is. But he just absolutely destroyed me. On blue-white? Oh, no, no, no. On, on the Infect side, when he was playing black-blue. And in paper, when we were testing over here, we did a bunch of pre-board games. And on the Infect side, I felt like it was not as bad as I thought it should be. I thought that the black-blue Shadow deck just should absolutely crush Infect because of the sort of low threat count. And the Thoughtseize removal package plus a quick clock... And in paper, it didn't really seem like that was happening. We only played, I don't know, 10 or so matches. But I played online and just got absolutely destroyed. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually just about to ask you what you thought of that matchup, like if you had to put a percentage on it. Because it came up in like the the uh, Infect Discord maybe like a week ago or so. And I was trying to like work through it in my head, like uh, how the matches would go. And I was thinking Infect was probably, like, not not a big dog, but, like, maybe 45% in that matchup. Is that where you'd put it? I mean, so in paper, when I was doing the majority of the testing and winning, there were games where the Infect deck went wide and the Shadow deck didn't have enough removal to keep up. Or the games where the Shadow deck had trouble cantripping into a threat because that deck just doesn't play a ton of threats. Reanimate doesn't really count as a threat against you because they're right. not going to be killing you with your infect creatures. And Street Wraith being cycled and reanimated doesn't really do the job against you either. So in paper, I felt that pre-board, infect was actually slightly favored. Yep. Post-board, it, post-board, it gets a lot worse. Right. I don't know. I, I'm not a big person in putting percentages on it. Like, oh, it's 70-30 or 60-40 because nobody knows. Of the people that throw those percentages out there, none of them have done the fucking testing to back it up and saying like, oh, it's a 90-10 matchup or, oh, it's a 45-55 matchup is just disingenuous and wrong. The only people who are actually able to make claims on that are... The people who are playing a ton of matches online and keeping track with their spreadsheet. And then instead of saying, oh, it is a 45-55 matchup, they're like, here's my 600 matches, take a look. And unless you're doing that, you really shouldn't be talking about the percentages of a matchup. That's something that kind of gets under my skin when people are like, oh, I lost to a 70-30 matchup. Like, no, shut the fuck up. You didn't do the testing. You have no idea. You're throwing that number out there, and you're probably fucking wrong. Oh Sorry, yeah, that was my that was my rant. Yeah, no, I I see what you mean, and I guess by like forty five percent, I don't mean literally like they'd win forty five out of a hundred games. I just mean like a slight dog, in, in my opinion, right? That's sort of like the shorthand of that. Yeah, I mean it's not the Infect deck's worst matchup. But it's probably their third worst matchup. You think it's that bad, huh? So I think that Blood Moon and Grixis Control are very close to unwinnable. Yeah. They are very, very bad matchups. And I think that Black Blue Shadow and Grixis Delver are bad matchups. But there is a reasonable chance to win them. Okay, yeah, that's a lot worse than I thought. 
Yeah, I I do not think it is close to 50. Interesting. Okay. So what about Blue Black versus Death and Taxes? What deck do you think has the uh, has the upper hand there? Well, I think if the Black Blue Shadow deck continues to devote three spots to Dread of Night and multiple Liliana of the Last Hopes, that they are very favored. It's probably very challenging to take a game one, but they have so much dedicated sideboard space to specifically fighting that matchup that it's really, really hard for Death and Taxes to be able to push through that amount of sideboard hate. I mean, is Death and Taxes going to be bringing in two Disenchants and two Council's Judgment against a Black Blue Shadow deck? Do they have to? How does the sideboard mapping work with how much the Taxes players are respecting having to play through multiple Dread of Knights? Yeah, I'm not sure about that, honestly. I mean, uh, you think about like Brightling in the main deck is probably a hedge against that. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody's playing Brightling anymore. I think that Mirren Crusader is by far the card that you want to play for that matchup. Yeah, that's true. That is, I guess, the same matchup. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. You really don't want to be bringing in Disenchants, right? I mean, that's the only target in post-board games, I would imagine, from uh, the Shadow side. Yeah, but if you're not bringing in those Disenchants, then you're relying on Council's Judgment to be able to take care of Dread of Night. What about Relic Warder? I feel like bringing Relic Warder in to fight Dread of Night seems really bad. Is that a 2-2? It's, yeah, it's a 2-2, but you're bringing it in to fight through a black-blue deck that has a lot more removal post-board, and sure, you can maybe take out a Dread of Night with it that will unlock all of your other one-toughness creatures, but do you want to play a removal spell that once your creature dies, they get it back. You Relic Warder their Dread of Night and then play your mom and Thalia or you Flicker Wisp something. And then your Relic Warder, Warder dies. They get the Dread of Night back. You lose an additional two creatures. It just, it seems like a bad idea. Well, so the reason I bring it up is because as like with a Disenchant, you just kind of, you bring in two of them and you draw them. Maybe they have the uh, Dread of Night, maybe they don't. But if you have a Relic Warder in your deck, like one of, but then you have two or three or four Recruiter of the Guards to go get it, but then hopefully not see it if they don't have the Dread of Night, I think I like that spot better than having main deck Disenchants, or post-board Disenchants. Well, the reason why I'm saying that is because the Black-Blue Shadow deck is playing more cantrips than any other Legacy deck, you, you expect them to see it. They're bringing three in along with all of their cantrips, I'm pretty sure that in those post-board games, you can just guarantee that there is going to be a Dread of Night played against you. How much you respect it, what you bring in, I'm not sure. I haven't tested that matchup. Death and Taxes was on my radar, but I wasn't doing a ton of testing with it. And that's going to be something that's better answered for the tournament. Yeah, I could see that. I'm looking through these challenge lists, and it does look like they have some number of Relic Warders. Uh, it's unclear to me. That might be like a concession to Omni, though. Yeah, I think that's more for the show-and-tell matchup. I I think that, obviously, it's a flexible card you can bring in as a one-of against Black-Blue Shadow, or two-of if there are two in the sideboard. But I, I really wouldn't want to rely on that to get rid of Dread of Night, because of how 
bad of a blowout it is to have your Relic Warder get killed and then your board wiped. Yeah, the other card that I'm seeing here that isn't that atypical, but like a two Sarah Avengers, which is, you know, not so bad when you're talking about Dreadonite. It's a 2-2 flyer for two. It's fine. But if you are relying on your two of Sarah Avenger to close the door on the shadow deck, I... I think that you just want a better plan against Dread of Night. Yeah, so I'm trying to imagine sideboarding this. So you'd bring in your Rest in Pieces, a Canonist, a couple Path to Exiles, I guess a couple Council's Judgments. Why would you bring in Rest in Peace? Because they have Anglers and their Reanimates. I would say that that's probably enough. Well, the reanimates are mostly going to be an early play. They're going to kill your Mother of Runes or some creature, maybe a Flicker Wisp, and end up reanimating your spell. Usually they're only playing two Gurmag Anglers. Dude, if they're killing your Flicker Wisp, that's not early. That's not earlier than a Rest in Peace coming down. Rest in Peace just doesn't really do anything. It, it stops four cards, and that's it. I would say it stops like a solid third of their threat package, right? I I don't I don't think so. Like they're they're anglers. That's like one of their three axes of attack. Sure, but they're playing two anglers and eight of the other things. So your two rest in pieces that you are bringing in that cost a card that you're using your second turn to play shut down two of their cards, right? Yeah, that's true. They're on. They're on two anglers. I was thinking that three was more typical. Just another thing about reanimate in the post-board matchups. It's likely that the shadow deck probably sides that out, given that all of the death and taxes removal is really exile effects. You have path and swords and council's judgment. And reanimate is kind of weak against flicker wisp. Like, it turns off your targets, because if they reanimate it and a Flicker Wisp ever resolves, you get it back. I have a feeling that that might be something that they cut post-board against Death and Taxes. So that, that does make it a weaker card, in my opinion. There are, some, there are some versions that play extra graveyard fuel and extra anglers, but the stock builds have two. And yeah. I, I feel like if you look actually look at the matchup, how the decks look after sideboarding that rest in peace looks bad and disenchant actually looks good yeah i'm more inclined to believe that now so you've got yeah reanimate i guess ticking down lily but ticking up lily is just so good in that matchup that i imagine that's what you're trying to do 95 percent of the time anyway yeah i mean there are some matchups where you have the street wraith down tick liliana and get to draw some cards but Liliana plussing in the Death and Taxes matchup is, is really where you want to be. Yeah, I would still be bringing it in on the play, but I, I'm not as sold on it as I was before now that you bring up these points. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they take a look at what cards they want to bring in, they really need to look at what their opponent's decks look like post-board. One of the biggest mistakes Legacy players make is sideboarding for the game one deck. And really, you need to be prepared to know what you're going to face post-board because, let's face it, 
90, 95% of the lists that people are going to bring to Richmond are stock straight from MTGO with sideboard plans that they looked up online. So when you are thinking about what you want to bring in, you really need to know what those decks look like post-board. Yeah, for sure. The other thing that I'm thinking about, though, they're dedicating like two or three sideboard slots to Dread of Night. That has to mean that in the absence of Dread of Night, it's a pretty bad matchup, right? I would agree with that. And I, I keep coming back to their threat package because you're like a Swords to Plowshares deck. Do you think that they, they're boarding out Thalia's in the post-board games? The Death and Taxes deck? Yeah. No way. No? No. I mean, the Blue-Black Shadow deck is relying on cantrips to churn through to find their threats and interaction. And Thalia really puts a damper on that. If you're boarding out Thalia versus Delver, you're probably doing it wrong. That's one of the strongest reasons to play Death and Taxes versus that. I agree. It's probably great in game ones. I mean, it's probably like your best card in game ones, like Sword Splashers, Thalia. But in the post board games, like going back to what you were just saying about like the texture of the post board games, I would want to be getting like a lot of these X ones out of my deck, right? And I'm trying to figure out between Thalia's, I would certainly at least be cutting because when I've played Death and Taxes, a lot of times I was boarding out like one Thalia in post-board games because they sort of get clogged in your hand sometimes if it's not like literally the card that you need to see like against a Storm or a Show and Tell, like that kind of matchup. I would be boarding out like one of them a lot. I think I might be boarding out maybe two of them in, the, in this post-board matchup. And maybe that's play draw dependent as well. But just having like a like X1s in your deck, like the, the chance to get three or four for one by a Dread of Night coming down at the wrong time, I don't know, man. You can't take out enough for that not to happen, right? You have Mom and Thalia and Recruiter and Flickerwisp, and you can't take all of those out. Well, I definitely wouldn't take any Recruiters out. Yeah, I, I definitely would not take out two Thalia. I think that Thalia is a card that you always want to see one of, and three in a deck is probably the right number to make that happen. So... Shaving Thalia as a one-of might be fine. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I think I think I would be shaving Flicker Wisps and Thalia's, like maybe two of each. Mother of Runes is such a great card to have if it, you're not talking about the context of Dread of Night, right? Flicker Wisp is generally going to come down after you know whether or not your opponent has a Dread of Night. Your Mother of Runes, you're running out on turn one, usually. Or coming in off of a Vile early in the game, where Mother of Runes is much more likely to be picked off from Dread of Night than a Flicker Wisp later on, if you can deal with it. So would you be boarding out the Mother of Runes then, based on this? I would probably be shaving a similar number of each. Depends on how many cards you're bringing in the matchup. Are you bringing in four cards? Are you bringing in three cards? Are you bringing in five cards? It's impossible to say exactly what you should shave if you don't know what you're bringing in. Yeah, so I think I would want to be bringing in five cards. Which are what? Two Path to Exile, absolutely. One Relic Warder, which we kind of talked about, and uh, two Council's Judgment. I'm sorry to go so in the weeds on this, man. <laughs> I don't know why I'm like fixated on this, but I feel like it's like one of the truly meaningful matchups of this tournament. 
honestly, I haven't played enough of the matchup to know exactly what to shave. Yeah, that, that and that's cool, man. I wonder how good Jit is in that matchup. I think it's probably great. I mean, it's not super effective against Death Shadow, unless you're putting it on a flyer, but it takes care of Delver's... Yeah, I'm thinking about, like, uh, this list I'm looking at right now has a... Uh, sorry, this is the sixth place list from the challenge. It has a Fire and Ice in the main and a War and Peace in the sideboard. Obviously, you're not... Like, War and Peace, this isn't the right matchup. I think I would have a Feast and Famine in my sideboard if I were playing this tournament that I would want to bring in, and I was just thinking about what I would take out. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Sophie is outstanding in the Black-Blue Shadow matchup. Right, but is it better than Jit, though? Probably not, honestly. I, I don't know if I agree. You think it might be better than Jit? I think that they're both not super effective, but I would probably rather have Jit than the Sword of Fire and Ice. Oh, yeah, that's what I was saying, too. Actually, though, with the power toughness bump, we were talking about, like, Dread Knights hitting the table, because Jit doesn't save you from that. Let's say you have a, a Mirren Crusader, and there's one Dread Knight in play, but you can hit the sword up on it to get it out of range of the second Dread Knight. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure, man. I feel like we're focusing a ton on this black-blue Death and Taxes matchup. Yeah, dude, we're like we're like 20 minutes on this fucking matchup. Where where do you do you have somewhere you want to go with this? I'm really excited to be able to play. I've done a ton of testing for this tournament and I feel less less confident than I have in any of the other Grand Prix that I played in. And that's probably a really good spot for the metagame to be. It really comes down to how familiar you are with your deck because the edges right now in most of the matchups are much more slim than they have been in a really long time. So did you end up testing Merfolk? We never really talked about this. So I did not test it in paper. I had some people send me some messages after we had talked about it on the cast mm -hmm. when I said that sneakily I thought that it was the best Chalice deck right now. Yeah, I mean, you kind of sold me. I think my next league is going to be with Fish. I was just curious... Uh... I guess, what got you off of it, right? I was never really off of it. I wanted to play a deck that had Brainstorm. I didn't want to play a deck that didn't have the ability to smooth and fix its draws. Fish is a really slam it all on the table, your creatures and your chalices, and that wasn't really a place that I wanted to be. Yeah, that's understandable, man. You can just say you like to cast Brainstorm, and I, I totally get that. Yep, that's where, that's where I'm going. I like attacking with Delvers, playing Stoneforge Mystics, and casting a Brainstorm. Dude, I've never seen you cast a Delver. I don't even know what that looks like. I played Delver in three of the Grand Prix that I cashed. Nice. Yeah, the first three. They were all uh, Just Guy or American builds. So that was Grand Prix DC, Grand Prix Jersey, and... Cool, man. Yep. I, uh... I know you love uh, percentages, so what percentage would you put on you flipping your Delver blind first turn? Oh, man. This deck surprisingly has quite a bit of flippy flips to it. Although, playing your Delver and then seeing that you have a Jit or a Batterskull is kind of kind of sad. Batterskull is the worst because then you have to draw it, too. Yeah, that is absolutely right. It, it flips less often than Grixis Delver or the black blue shadow delver for sure no i just meant like you like how lucky you are 
Oh, I'm lucky. I'm lucky when I need to be. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm not Alex Bertoncini or Jared <laughs> Betcher lucky. But yeah, yeah, not not that lucky. Dude, speaking of drama, you want to get into our Hall of Fame ballots? I honestly <laughs> uh, fucking magic Twitter is all up in arms over the Hall of Fame ballots. Dude, what kills me is people that vote for less than five people. Because I feel like this is just, like, uh, out of spite, right? Like, you have this opportunity to give somebody this lifetime invite at no expense to you as, like, you know, some other player. Just fucking just vote for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, okay, if there's somebody that you really believe is, like, like an Alex Bertoncini or something, then, yeah, you don't vote for them, right? But, like, this sort of oh, they didn't quite meet my uh, my threshold or whatever, so I'm only voting for three people. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't feel it. I feel like you just sort of spread the love, get everybody on the train. I've had to curate the shit out of my Twitter followers because I couldn't take it anymore. I mean, it literally, it just, so many people are reading this and so many people are having negative reactions to people yeah. calling other people out who are on the ballot and sharing all of these stories. Like, it doesn't matter to the average magic player vote however you want but nobody has to fucking pay attention to it right like people are saying oh chris should be in the hall of fame because he's one of the major people who pushed back against cheating that's great vote him in the hall of fame but this argument every fucking year about who is going to get in just doesn't matter Dude, was it always this bad? I don't remember it being this bad in past years, but maybe I'm just following it closer because, like, we have a podcast and I feel like I kind of have to follow this shit now. Well, I think this is the first year that non-English pros brought up the fact that American pro Magic players are just racist. Like, I read multiple posts that people have made just saying, you know what, this is racist. And as soon as I read that, I was like, are we fucking at a point where because somebody is voting for somebody they know over somebody that they don't know, they're racist. I think that might be a little too far. Bro, it's 2018. I don't want to I don't want to talk about it. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Fucking Magic Twitter is awful. Magic Facebook groups, the drama is fucking awful. Dude, you're back. What What's going on? I saw Tom Smiley, wavy hands, commenting in Facebook groups again. Somebody fucking invited me. I left and they fucking invited me. And you don't have to click accept to get invited back to a fucking group. What? So I got, nope, you just get fucking added. And they're like, some this person added you to the group. Would you like to leave? So I got added. Somebody tagged me. And then I fucking got into a raging argument with people who are saying that, all right, this is going to be my last fucking rant. The situation was, you are losing a game, and you have a lightning bolt in your hand. Your opponent has a oh, chalice God. on one, and you decide to bolt yourself to see if they miss the chalice trigger. So, there were people that were arguing that you, bolting yourself, which is a legal fucking game action, is worse than your opponent missing the chalice trigger on purpose which is fucking cheating and i can't get behind all these idiots that 
are saying, no, if you bolt yourself, you get DQ'd from the tournament. That's cheating. Listen, your opponent is the one that cheated. You bolted yourself. And your opponent was like, I guess I'll miss this chalice trigger, so I win. That's fucking cheating. You didn't cheat. Your opponent cheated. How the fuck are you saying that you're going to DQ both of them? I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with Magic Twitter. Except for this cast, you can fucking tweet at me, and as long as you don't say some <laughs> ridiculous shit, we're going to be okay. But I might have to leave Facebook groups again. I don't want to get sucked back in. It's just bullshit. I really don't get anything about arguing with fucking people on the internet. I don't want to do it. I have a podcast now. I can just say what I think, and you can either listen to it or not. Dude, those chalice discussions... I don't know. I, I came up, like, the first tournaments I played were in, like, 1995, 1996. It was a totally different era. I think that a lot of people now come from a place of, like, not playing in tournaments, just watching, like, a like a Twitch chat sort of perspective, where they have these distorted views of, like, what's fair play, what's turnabout, and, like... I just stay the fuck out of it because I would lose my mind. Just sort of like you were just describing. You know how I just said I was done ranting? I'm not done ranting. <laughs> you just you just fucking brought something up. Twitch chat is shit. If you watch magic coverage with the fucking chat on, there's a problem. You do not need to fucking interact with chat. There's nothing good that ever happens there. You shouldn't be there. You should just have it full screened and watch the fucking magic. Because the only thing that happens is Twitch chat is people are wrong. I've never been reading Twitch chat and been like, wow, that person made a really good point. Congratulations, Twitch chat. That was great. No, it's just a whole bunch. Uh, uh, never mind. Never mind. Forgot. I'm, I'm done. I'm so done. you're saying you don't want to move to the Nico Nico model where the Twitch chat scrolls across the screen while you're watching? Dude, it's amazing. It's just like all these eights and emojis flying across the screen while the people are playing Magic. <sighs> you want to wrap this up, man? I'm done. My my heart's my heart's racing right now. Yeah, take your lisinopril, man. Ian, where can people find you? On Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. Where where well where can they find you in general? I know right now you're in Maine, but yeah, I mean I'm in uh. I'm not going to say what time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ian18125. And you, Tom? You can find me on Twitter at TSmileyMTG. And you can find the cast at DeadFormatCast. And don't be tagging me in a bunch of fucking Pro Tour Hall of Fame or Chalice threads on Twitter. Because, well, I'm probably not going to do anything. I won't block anybody. But I'll be I'll be mildly disappointed. <laughs> And I will think less of you as a person. Yeah, man. And you can email the cast at deadformatcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we actually had uh, an emailed question that I wanted to answer before we get out of here, which I forgot to bring up earlier. One of them was from a very nice audio producer who said a lot of good things about the cast, but we're broke and we're just going to do our own audio recording because we don't have money to pay. So I apologize, audio producer. Well, not to mention we say like twenty fucked up things when we're spun out at the at like the end of our cast, and you wouldn't necessarily know which ones to cut. Yeah, there there are a lot of things that we say. Usually we drink a lot, and today we didn't drink. 
Yeah, we're actually stone fucking sober. We are at way more angry. Yeah, dude. Not drinking. We need to make sure that we drink next week. I'm going way too deep on like sideboard plans and shit. I'm fucking focused. Like I'm ready to play magic right now. Talk about the goblin thing. Okay, yeah, we had a we had a question from a listener, Bruce Harrison. He said, "Thoughts on goblins in the current meta? I have it built mostly for budget reasons." He specifically wanted to ask you, Anne, what do you think about it? Specifically me, really? No, I just don't want to answer it. So I'm saying <laughs> That it was right. you that so, needs to answer it. The problem with goblins, in my estimation, is you need a fucking Thalia to be playing those decks, right? Like, when I play against goblins online, it's like, they're a wasteland port deck. They're trying to choke you on mana, but they don't have any sort of taxing effect. So I can always break out of it, and with, like, one mana answers, because their creatures aren't, like, a, I don't know what a good example other than Thalia, I guess a Mother of Runes would be the other example of things that you need to answer in a small window with a one-mana spell, or you just can't answer it. So I always find I can claw back into these games with goblins and then end up, you know, turning the corner. Whereas with Death and Taxes, if they stick a Thalia at the right time, you you sort of slowly sink underwater. Yeah, goblins is a great mid-range deck. And I feel like the format isn't really conducive to where Goblins is at. Now, obviously, if it's what you have and it's built, you can definitely play it. But Death and Taxes has a better mana denial package because of Thalia. And Goblins really wants to work its way up to those four drop value creatures. And if the format isn't slow enough to be able to have you cast your ringleader and outgrind your opponent then it's not really the best spot to be in. Goblins also has this sort of anti-synergy with all of its mana denial and wanting to get up to its four drops. Exactly. It is much more reliant on Vile than some of the other decks that try to do that just for that reason. But if it is the deck that you have built, obviously, obviously it is playable. But if I had those cards... I would be much more likely to try to work out playing death and taxes and picking up what you needed for that. But Bruce, that's our answer. And thank you for listening, man. I got to get out of here. I can't wait to get to Richmond.